going to be looking. I want to look back at some of the things that we see in the early church, the things that they were, things that they saw as significant, the things that they saw as worthy of their time and effort uh, in the beginning of the church. Because, uh, as I said last week, it's so easy for us to be consumed by so many things as Christians, uh, not not even just church things, but uh, in our own personal lives. There, as I said last week, there is. There are no shortage of people or businesses or causes trying to get you to commit your money or your time or your effort. Uh, And even in the church work, there's times that we can run around doing a million different things, but that doesn't necessarily mean that we're doing what God wants us to do. Uh, And especially, I think, in the times that we live in, it is so important that we Focus on the essential things that the Bible calls us to so that we can be effective uh, in the world around us. Uh, I mean, we see it around us every day. There is, again, riots and, and looting and people being killed and uh, you know viruses that people still don't understand. Uh, the church, in order to be effective in that world, has to do the elementary things right. Now, we're not talking about, and I know I've said this before, but Jim Cimbala, I can't remember the book, um, one of his books about prayer, but he said something along the lines of, it's not the the deep theological concepts that get us tripped up as the, as the church, it's the everyday elementary things that we fail to employ. It's not the things that even theologians struggle over trying to understand. Those aren't the things that trip us up. It's the things that the simple concepts that the Bible calls us to that we just simply don't employ on a daily basis. Those are the things that cause us problems. But in order to be effective in a world like we see now, the culture in America, in order to speak words of wisdom, in order to speak words of life, in order to be effective as the church, we have to do the fundamental things well. Uh, so that's what we're looking at here uh, in Acts chapter 2, is just going back and looking at the things that the early church was devoted to. Uh, so Acts chapter 2, we're going to start in verse 42. So it says that they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, into the fellowship, into the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe, and many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common, selling their possessions and goods. They gave to anyone as he had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. And this is what we want to look at here. I guess this shows the effect of all of the things that they were committed to, all the things that they were doing in this moment. Again, the last half of verse 47, it says, And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. So again, this passage gives us a picture uh, over the early church and the things that are essential if we are to be the body uh, of Christ that is enjoying the presence of God and uh, having his power among us to be effective in the world around us. These are the things that Christ calls us to. And we'll talk about that more. We'll kind of break this apart as we go. But the first thing, again, just reviewing from last week, the first thing is that they were committed or devoted to teaching. So they had teachable hearts and recognized their own destitution and need for God and his teaching. Psalm 119, again, we read this last week, 119 
Starting one, verse 1 and 2, it says, I have not departed from your laws, for you yourself have taught me how sweet are your words to my taste, sweeter than honey to my mouth. I gain understanding from your, precept, from your precepts, therefore I hate every wrong path. So they understood, the early church then understood, that God's word and the Holy Spirit-inspired teaching of the apostles was the light that would guide them uh, in, in peace and fellowship with God, even here on earth, and ultimately uh, to be in his presence from etern- for eternity. We see that in verse 105 in Psalm 119. Your word is a lamp to my feet and light to my path. And there's all these different ways that God's word speaks to us and gives us refreshment and renewal, gives us wisdom, gives us understanding. It helps me to speak out of God's wisdom and not my own. They were committed to the teaching of God because they recognized that they had nothing of eternal value in themselves but they were seeking the wisdom that is pure that comes from God, the wisdom that transcends this earth, a wisdom that transcends just simple mankind throwing around a bunch of ideas and trying to figure out how, who is right. You see, they didn't, they didn't commit themselves to just general philosophy, but they saw that there was a law that transcended this world, and everything that we see even the simple fact of good and evil hinges on there being a law that transcends this world. You see, if all we have is mankind's opinion, if that's the extent of wisdom, there is no way to say anything is good or evil. You can't. Because it's just one person's opinion against another. But if you have a law, a God that transcends this world and everything is under His authority then who do we look to for authority? Who do we look to for wisdom? It's Him. Not just men trying to decide what is right. That's the point. They devoted themselves to teaching because they recognized that the wisdom of man is futile. So then they go on and we see that uh, they committed themselves, uh, again, verse 42, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship and to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Um, so the first thing that we have to understand here is the significance of what they were talking about. What we're talking about this week is fellowship and breaking of bread. So we have to understand the significance of what they were talking about when they said fellowship. You see, it goes beyond just what we know as fellowship. When we think about fellowship, we talk about uh, uh, you know, certain events that we organize so people can hang out together. Or we have church dinners or those kind of things. Those things aren't inherently bad in themselves. But the fellowship that we're talking about that is outlined in the Bible goes far beyond us just doing some of the same activities together, being in the same place together. The fellowship that the Bible talks about is a disposition of heart. The same things we've talked about before. We talk about worship. Worship is not about meaning a list of uh, uh, prescribed events or ways of approaching God. It's not about doing that, but it's about us approaching Him with a willing heart, sincerely desiring to offer ourselves for Him. That's the same thing that we're talking about here in fellowship. Fellowship goes beyond, again, just meeting a list of activities where we do the same thing and where we hang out together, but it goes to the point of my heart being broken for my brothers and sisters in Christ, my heart being willingly given to my brothers and sisters in Christ, participating together with them in life. Now that means the good things, that means the bad things. No matter what people are going through, fellowshipping according to the Bible means that I am willing to give all that I have for their benefit. And we'll talk about that more as we go here. But koinonia, the word, the word for fellowship mostly used is the word koinonia in the Greek. It means partnership or participation, communion or fellowship. Uh, 
also sharer or companion or partner. Chuck Swindoll said this about the word koinonia. He said it refers to close mutual relationships where people share things in common and remain involved with one another. That doesn't mean uh, dinners uh, or, or Christmas concerts. Koinonia represents close relationships that involve sharing life with one another, the bad times as well as the good. In the church, the Word of God not only learned through teach, was not only learned through teaching, then it is lived through fellowship. So what we are talking about here in fellowship is the wisdom we are devoted to teaching and learning what God would have for us. Again, remember learning what God would desire, how He desires to relate to us, how He wants us to relate to Him, and then how He wants us to relate to those around us. We take the concepts that God lays out in His Word, they are applied to my heart, and then they are manifest in my relationships with those around me. What is the simple form of that? The sacrificial love that we see in Christ. That is what he is leading us to, is that we would have the same character of Christ, who again, if you read Philippians 2, it said he, didn't, he left his place in heaven. He did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but left his place in heaven to serve mankind, to humble himself as a servant, even to death on a cross. That was the sacrificial love of God displayed for humanity. And we are called to the same Character. The same uh, characteristics should be manifest in our heart because of the love that has been poured into our hearts. So in that then, my desire to partner with those around me, to share life around me, goes beyond my simple uh, uh, desires or the things that I have in life. And it, it comes to the place where I am willingly offering myself, my whole heart and soul and mind and strength. The Bible says that we should love God that way. But if we love God that way, then he calls us to love others that way. You see, because God calls us to be brought into a right relationship with him and then into a right relationship with other people. Uh, so we're going to look at just a few things here that, uh, that we see in, in uh, Acts chapter 2. The first thing that we see here is that they willingly chose to share life together. They willingly chose to share life together. Acts 2, starting verse 44, says, All the believers were together and had everything in common. Uh, Ellicott's commentary said this, The church was to be a society founded not on the law of self-interest and competition, but on sympathy and self-denial. They had all things in common, not by compulsorily not by a compulsory abolition of the rights of property, but by the spontaneous energy of love. The gift of the Spirit showed its power, not only in the tongues and prophecy, but in the more excellent way of charity. Um, You see, in all of the things that Christ called the early church to, all of the miraculous things that we see them take part in all the ways that the Spirit of God manifests His power in them, in that moment, the Bible says that the greater way is charity. The King James says charity or love, meaning the sacrificial love of God. That is what is uh, over everything that we can do. All of the things that we can do uh, in, in our not in our power, we work through the power of God in us, but we can do works for God. But the greatest work is the sacrificial love that comes into our hearts and then is expressed out of us 
to those around us. That is far above anything else that we can do. It doesn't matter my gifts, my talents, abilities, if they are not used out of a motivation of sacrificial love for the benefit of those around me, then they are wasted. You see, I can't offer those things to God, all my gifts and talents and abilities. I can't sincerely offer them to God if I'm not sincerely also making them available to those around me. Why? It's a simple fact is God made everything that he has available to, the, to mankind. Every man, every person, every man, woman, and child right now can approach the foot of the cross and all of the blessings that God has, all of the promises that he has ever made are available to every person. There's not one person who doesn't have the opportunity to step into those things. All of the things that God has. The Bible says that everything is under Christ. We talk about this over and over, that everything that the Father has has been given to Christ. He is the heir of everything that is the Father's. The Bible also says that we are co-heirs of everything that is the Father's. The point is that God has made available everything that he has for humanity. First to his Son, and then to humanity through his Son. Now, if God would offer all that he is, all that he has to humanity... He desires the same thing from us. They willingly chose to participate and share life together. Um, They were willing to share what each one had, not because they were under force or obligation, but because the sacrificial love of Christ had been poured into their hearts. Romans 5.5 says this, God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Uh, You see, what had happened in them is that they had experienced such grace and mercy that it couldn't be contained within them, but the love of God overflowed out of them. Uh, So this is exactly what God is looking for then, a heart that is willing. They They willingly chose to share life together. All believers were together and had everything in common. They all wanted to be together, to share life together. Again, not just in the same room, doing the same things, but they had a genuine, sincere affection for one another that they willingly chose to participate and have communion together, and they shared all things together. He is looking for a heart that is willing. You see, again, as worship is about the disposition of our heart, prayer is about the disposition of our heart, our giving, our helping, our teaching, our fellowship, anything that you can think of in the Christian life is about the disposition of our heart. Any sacrifice or any act of sacrificial love is an expression that is pure and sincere only if our heart is willing. You see, I can do things that would be considered good because I feel obligated to do it. But that robs the act of its sincerity. If I do something because I feel like I have to do this, I don't want to do it. I feel like I have to do it. Whether you feel pressured from a certain amount of people or whether you feel like, well, nobody else in the church is going to do this if I don't do it. And that happens a lot. I know that. That happens a lot. But you see, somehow, as believers, we have to move past that. Well, I'm going to do this. I have to do this because nobody else is going to do it. I don't want to do it. Nobody else is going to do it. I have to move past that because the Bible says that everything that we do, I do it as I am doing it for God first. So whether nobody else is going to do it or, or not, whatever that is, I still can go to this foundational level and understand that even if I'm tired or weak, and it seems like nobody else wants to pick up the slack and do, any, do anything, 
I am going to resolve myself to do this with an attitude of love, first towards God and then towards my brothers and sisters in Christ, recognizing hopefully at some point that they will see the needs that exist in the church and that out of an attitude of love and peace and joy that I can bring others into this body to accomplish their purpose. Why would anyone want to ever take over the areas of the church, all the things that need done in the church when they see people doing things and all they're just miserable about it? And listen, I'm not talking about anything in this church specifically. I'm not. I'm talking about the church in general. I've been to a lot of churches and it can come to the place where people are doing things out of feeling obligated and they're miserable about it. You see, God calls us to allow... A, 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 to be motivated by love for him and then motivated by love to others. They willingly chose to participate together. That's the point. It's about our heart being sincere in our choosing willingly to participate in a body of believers. The next thing that we see is... Uh, they had a sincere desire to meet the needs of brothers and sisters. Acts 2.45 says they were together and they were selling their possessions and goods they gave to anyone as he had need. So don't mistake this, though. Don't mistake what is happening here. Uh, I think it's easy to read this wrong in the first place. This was not a simple matter of everyone literally selling everything that they had uh, the believers, they didn't necessarily sell their homes and their lands and their possessions and all of those things. It says that they gave to each as there was a need. You see, what the Bible, it's, it's not calling you and I to go out and sell uh, our cars and our houses and not to have those things, but the, the point was that their possessions didn't possess them. The believers, their possessions didn't possess them. You understand what we're saying? A.W. Tozer talks about this in his book called The Pursuit of God, that all the things that we have, we're storing these things up and, and creating all of this work for ourselves, trying to maintain the things that we have around us. Why is that? Because possessions get to the point where they possess the people. We don't possess things anymore. They possess us. And my life then revolves around trying to work to maintain all of the things that I have or, or have some sort of death grip on all of the things that I have and no one will ever have any of these things. You see, there are people that exist that I don't care what they have or what the need of somebody else is, they will never ever consider sharing the things that they have with somebody else because somebody might damage it. They might hurt it or they might not know how to use it. Listen, I'm not telling you to be foolish and go hand a chainsaw to somebody that's never run a chainsaw in their life. Be smart about it. But what I am saying to you is that our possessions, our finances, our homes, they cannot possess us. And the point is that they had willing, willing hearts in sharing with one another. That meant that if a need arose that was that serious... I would be willing to, if there was something that I had that I could sell, I would make it work to give it to this person that was in need. If it required me, maybe I need to work a couple extra hours of overtime this week and I can donate to, the, to that person. Whatever it was, they were willing participants in sharing the burdens of those around them. 
You see, in that moment, there wasn't a welfare system. They didn't have the government giving people money as they needed it. It was the church sharing the burdens of each other. They were willing, if it was necessary, to give up. Some of them did sell their houses and land. But you see, it was because there was a need and they were willing to meet that need. The point is that God is looking at our hearts today saying, are you willing? Are you willing today? If there's a need, are you willing to meet it? It doesn't even have to be a financial need. It could be somebody needing just simply somebody to talk to them. Somebody just simply needing somebody to lead them or disciple them. But are you willing? Because there are situations where people need discipled where it's going to take a lot of your time and energy. But you see, again, sometimes we want to hold on to our time and our energy. We don't want to share that with anybody else. Sometimes investing in others will take a lot of our time and energy. But the point is, are you willing, if that situation arises, are you willing to do it? They had a sincere desire to meet the needs of the brothers and sisters. They actively chose to honor others above themselves. Romans 12 says this, Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourself. And verse 13, share it with the Lord's people who are in need. They were willing to honor other people above themselves. With their money, with their time, their talents, their abilities, their uh, everything that they had, they were willing to honor others above themselves and to share with the Lord's people who were in need. We have to be people who are willing to give. Willing. Not because we feel like we have to, not because we feel like this is what you have to do to be a Christian, but because I want to offer that the same mercies and provision that God has offered to me, I am willing to offer that to others. We have to be people who are willing. The next thing that we see here is they did not forsake the gathering together of the saints. Acts chapter 2, starting verse 46, it says, Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, fellowship, breaking of bread into prayer. And then verse 46, they broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts. See, what this is talking about, First of all, again, with fellowship is a body that is willingly choosing to partner together in life. Not just to partner together as a church in a few projects. Not just to partner together as a church when we come together for an hour or so on Sunday mornings, but a people who are willing to have deep communion and participation in every aspect of life, in the high times and the low times, willingly offering everything that they have for the benefit of others. And you see that goes deeper here when it talks about how they uh, broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts. So we talked about fellowship, but then we see that it says that they were devoted to the breaking of bread and to prayer. So the next thing we have to understand, when it talks about breaking bread then, there's a lot of debate about specifically what that means in Acts chapter 2, whether that means specifically communion or whether it means some sort of deeper fellowship together. I, I, after all that I have studied, I believe it means both. 
I believe that first it means that they broke bread together, meaning that they took communion together. That Christ called them, uh, his disciples, to eat the bread and drink the cup to remind themselves of what he has done. And they did this together. Uh, I can't remember what I do with that verse, but it talks about in, in uh, it's first or second Corinthians where Paul's laying this out for the church in Corinth, and he says that when you do this, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. When you participate in communion together, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Why? Because this is a simple form of the church proclaiming this is what we believe. This is what I've committed my life to. I believe that the blood of Christ has cleansed me and purified me and washed me white. It has purified me from all unrighteousness and allowed me to step into the presence of God. I believe that about the blood of Christ as we drink the, the cup. That is what we are proclaiming. As we eat the bread together, we are remembering and proclaiming that the body of Christ was bruised and beaten and pierced for my sake, and he drew his last breath, taking on my sin, and then he was raised to life again. And because of his resurrection, again, First Peter says, because of his resurrection, I have a living hope and an inheritance in God. It is because of his body that was beaten and killed for me, but then God raised him to life. We are proclaiming all of those things when we take communion together. And we're going to do that soon. We're trying to figure out how that can happen or when is a safe time to do that. That's going to happen soon. But that is what we're doing when we talk about breaking bread. They were devoted to breaking bread, meaning communion together, because in that act they were proclaiming the Lord's death until he comes. You see, there have to be markers in our life where we are willing to stand up and proclaim that God is who he says he is that he has done in me what he said he would do, and that he is willing to carry me on to completion. He has not finished his work in me, but he is faithful as I walk in him. He is faithful to complete his work. And when I partake in communion together, as the body of Christ, we are saying, we have stepped into this glorious salvation that is available to us in Christ, this mercy and grace that is beyond what we can even imagine. We have stepped into this together and we participate in his body and his blood together. So they devoted themselves to communion. I believe that it also teaches not just, not just the act of taking communion, but it goes deeper than that. We see that here. Again, it says in uh, verse 46, they broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts. You see, in that moment, in that culture, Sharing a meal together was one of the most significant things that you could do. That was a very, very significant thing for them to stop what they were doing and come together to be together in fellowship, sharing a meal together. You see, it wasn't a thing like we have in our day where you can just pass through a drive-thru and have your food in two minutes and then you eat it in the next ten minutes and you're on to the next thing. That's not what we're talking about here. That's the culture that we know. That's not what they knew. They would stop together and be together. And in those moments, they would actually talk about God together. You see, everything that... If you study all of this, you will see that in those moments, the people were willing to talk about God, who He is, what He has done. It's, it's, it's not just a matter of 
uh, I can't remember the one commentary I was, the, the scholar I was reading was talking about how the, all of the things that they did together, how, however mundane they would have been, were made holy because they were willing to point themselves towards God, direct their attention towards God in that act. So the simple act of them eating together was made holy because they fixed their eyes on God together in fellowship, in talking about Him, in offering that moment to Him together in an act of worship. You see, everything that we do can be done for the benefit of brothers and sisters in Christ and for the worship of God, directing each other's attention towards God. This is one of the most significant things I think that we can do in the church is talk about God when we are together. Again, as we said a couple weeks ago, I'm not talking about just talking about Him when we come here on Sunday mornings or when you sit in a prayer meeting or when you sit in a Sunday school class or youth group, but talk about God when you were sitting at your dinner table. Talk about God when you were walking with somebody on the street. Talk about God uh, wherever you're at, whatever you were doing when you're in the car driving somewhere. Talk about God together. Because it is encouraging to hear brothers and sisters in Christ talk about what God has done in them, what He has done through them, and what He has revealed to them. You see, one of the best things for me in life, some of the best ways that I learn is when I am with, uh, you know, specifically, there's a couple pastors. One one specifically is is my older brother. He is an amazingly smart man. It is unbelievable how much he knows. Because he, I've said to a few people, he's one of those guys that can read a book an inch and a half thick in a few hours and remember every single detail of what he read. But one of the most amazing things for me is just being able to talk. And as I talk with people that are full of God's wisdom, they begin to sharpen you. You begin to start thinking of things you never thought of before. You see, that even for me, that's where a lot of sermons can come from. Just talking with people and you something all of a sudden clicks in a conversation. And you think of things that you never thought of before. It is important that we talk about God together. I'm almost done. It is important for our benefit, for the benefit of the church, and I think specifically for the benefit of our children, because when they hear us talking about God more than just on Sunday morning and in Sunday school classes, they recognize then this actually means something. This is what they actually believe. They're talking about it when they don't have to. We have to do it when we're here, right? But you see what I mean. They, They hear you talking. You willingly choose to talk about it when you don't have to. They see then this is something they must actually believe. Because they're not a church, they're not in a class, and they're talking about this. They must believe this. They broke bread together. They took the Lord's Supper together, proclaimed His death. They shared meals in their home together. They were devoted to each other. You see, what this comes down to, the worship team can come up as we close today. What this comes down to is at the foundational level, their hearts were willing to invest. That is what we see 
the characteristics we see here outlined in the Bible, that they had hearts that were willing to invest. They were willing to invest themselves in the kingdom of God. They were willing to invest themselves in the people around them. They were willing to make everything that they had available for the sake of those around them. Now we're never, we're not going to do this perfectly. There are things that I learn every day. The more that you step into God, the more that you realize that there are self-centered things within each person that you didn't even realize were there. The deeper that you go into God, you will realize that more and more, that there were things in your heart you didn't even realize were there. And you learn those things, but when you learn when God reveals to you the things within your heart, you take a step towards Him. Allow Him to weed those things out of your heart. I say that to say that we... I don't want to create this picture. Sometimes people get to the point where they want nothing to do with the church because people failed to live certain things out. Sometimes that's because people were just simply hypocritical and failed miserably because they make no attempt. Sometimes that's just simply because people don't offer people the opportunity to do better. You see, sometimes when, when I fail, i got to get up and figure out how to keep going. And sometimes we need to offer one another the grace to understand that this person failed. They need to figure out how to get up and keep going. And I need to figure out how to encourage them on to keep going and move past their failing. I'm saying that to say that we are growing in this together. But as a church, if we are ever going to be effective, especially in the culture that we see around us right now, it is going to be by devoting ourselves to teaching, understanding the wisdom of God, devoting ourselves to fellowship, sharing, partnering in communion together, and in prayer. And we'll talk about that next week. If we are ever to be effective in this world right now, it is going to come by those things. That's what it's going to take. Now, This is the last thing I'll say, I promise. In that, we cannot be people who sit back and wait for the church to organize that. Because all the things that we're talking about here will never come by the the church trying to organize it. It's not going to happen that way. We're not going to have unity by the church trying to organize unity. We're not going to have effective prayer by the church trying to organize effective prayer. We're not going to have... Teaching can only be as effective in your life as you choose to be devoted to it. You see, what I'm saying in all this is so many times people sit back and wait for the church to organize something. What I, let me illustrate it this way. I've heard so many people over the years talk about why, why are we sending people, because I've been so involved in Dominican missions, why are we sending people to a different country when there's such a need here? And in the town that that I was, my last church, at that time we probably had about, about 300 people just under in our church. I know that everybody that comes to the church, to a local church, isn't saved. I know that. 
But in theory, we should have had 300 people going out into the community from the Brookfield Church of God every single week, not counting all of the other churches in the area. Every single week, every single day, we should have had 300 people going out of the community being a witness, an ambassador for Christ. Why on earth does it matter if we send 10 people to the Dominican Republic then? That doesn't hinder that work. You see, what happens when somebody says, why are we sending people over there when there's such a need here? What really, I think, if you pushed it when it came down to it, is they're waiting for the church to organize some kind of event to reach out. You see... The church can't organize something to be as effective as you individually can be where you are every day. The church can't organize something to, to meet or see or have influence over as many people as you do individually on a daily basis. The church can't organize fellowship. We can organize events. But that doesn't make people have a heart of community. That doesn't make people willing to participate together. We can organize prayer events. That doesn't make somebody devoted to prayer. What I'm saying is each individual person has to make a decision. I'm going to devote myself to this. I don't care if anybody else does. I'm going to devote myself to this. And you see, then when each individual person devotes themselves to that, the church then comes together, united in these causes, not because we are looking to each other, but because we are each looking off to God. Every individual person looking off to Him is what it takes for the church to be effective. We can never organize a way to be effective. It comes from you and I looking off to God. God, we thank you today for your word. All the things that you have called us to. Father, that you have given us the opportunity to have an inheritance in your son. Father, as we understand what it means to walk with you, we pray that you would give us the power to devote ourselves to your cause that we would first devote ourselves to your teachings, your principles, that we may understand who you are and what we have been called to in you. That when we speak, it would be out of your wisdom and not our own. That when we have to confront situations with family or friends or work, or whatever it is, that we would speak out of your wisdom your love, your mercy, your grace, your justice and righteousness, and not our own. And Father, we would, te- we would devote ourselves then to sharing life together, willingly investing ourselves in your kingdom, in your people. Father, in these moments, help us to be people that would commit ourselves to you in every detail of our life, every bit of our talent and ability and time and finances, everything that we have, we would commit, commit those things to you. Father, we love you today. It's in your name we pray. Amen.